Turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're back in the book of Galatians. Uh, I wanted to ask you this question and kind of put in your mind some thoughts before we go to God's Word. 180 degrees. Uh, when, when somebody says 180 degrees, it, that they made a 180 degree, you know, correction in their direction. What does that mean? What does it mean? They, they went the complete opposite direction, right? Uh, many things in life were just off by degrees, right? You know, uh, you're uh, not paying attention and you're on the road, and you're off five degrees, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in the ditch a little bit, and you can correct real quickly, right? Um, we think of like small corrections to life, the little things that we get off, and we, we just need a little bit of adjustment. And what we're talking about today is really a difference of 180 degrees. It's the complete wrong direction. Uh, if, uh, if someone misses it in that way, they, you know, I always think it's funny. I don't know if you do this. Have, have you ever gotten lost and you got that stupid app thing on your phone and you're looking at it and, and you're, you're driving and you're not sure, you know, there's the little where you're supposed to go, you know, that blue line or green line or whatever it is. That's where you're supposed to go. And then you make a turn and you see your car, which is creepy in and of itself, right? That they know where you're going. And, and you see your car going the wrong direction. Um, I, I think most of us can relate to that idea of going in the wrong direction. Maybe we've been very familiar with that. Um, I, I want to tell, tell you today is a day where Paul is going to speak to the Galatians about the dangerous path that they're on. The, the, this is not a small issue for him. And, and really it becomes even the, the message or the crux of the message in the book of Galatians, what we're going to be talking about today. And it, 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 as he shares, it's very impassioned and it's, it, it's using some pretty dramatic language. And so today, just think in your mind, this may seem subtle, but it's the difference between 180 degrees. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you from God's Word, um, verses 1 through 12. God's Word says this, Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through, uh, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This uh, persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view 
And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. God, thank you for your word. I ask that you help us to understand it well. I pray that your spirit would work in us now, that, that the hearts of each one, and if there are those who don't know the good news of the gospel, that they would be prompted and drawn to you even today. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Another uh, maybe thought in your mind before we get rolling is, when are you good with God? When are you settled in your relationship with God? When, when, when are things okay that you can go to sleep at night and not worry if you would not wake up? When are you confident in your relationship with Jesus Christ that, that if you were to die and that as God looks upon your life as you live, that you're good with God? When is that point? Maybe think about that as we go through our time together. Um. Today we're going to look at the differences and dangers of how we live after accepting the gospel so we can walk in freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. Um, I was reminded as Zach put up Psalm 103 before one of, in the midst of singing our songs that, and it says, who redeems your life from the pit? Some of you say, that's me. I was in the pit. And God saw me there. I couldn't see myself there. I couldn't believe that I'd gotten there. I didn't know where I was and why I was there. And I, I, I kind of knew how I got there, but I couldn't believe that I got here so quickly and so in such great depths. And God loved me and he pulled me out of the pit. Some of you say, well, I was never in the pit, but I was, you know, running towards it. I was running towards it. Uh, and, and, and I just want to say this. Before we get started this morning, the, the story or, or the, the situation of the book of Galatians is this. It's just a city. It's just a city. City of some people, most of them not Jews. Didn't, didn't have a clue about the Old Testament. Didn't have a clue about the, the plan of uh, God's creation and him calling Abraham to be his chosen people and he didn't they didn't know about Moses and they didn't know about David like like that wasn't their story they followed all kinds of pagan religions and they some of them were even probably secular and they didn't they didn't think of anything at all and so they lived their life doing whatever came to their mind as most people in America do you know they just do whatever they want they make up their own rules and follow them when they want to. And, and they find themselves in places and situations of emptiness. Sin always looks good. It always looks good. But it never satisfies. And it leaves you with the guilt of knowing that you failed. Even if you don't know your creator, you, you feel a sense of guilt. And so... The story goes like this, that these were these Gentile people in the city of Galatia, minding their own business, but living these empty lives. 
And Paul shows up with others and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and these people that he writes to got forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, new life because of Jesus. But the question that the book of Galatians is answering is so you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And I want to tell you, if you're forgiven of your sins, you're right with God. You are right with God. There's nothing in between you. And so if you're right with God, the question is, how do you live the next day and the next day after that? You see... uh, there's two groups of people kind of in view here. There's the Gentile people who are just doing whatever they were doing. And there were the Jews. What did the Jews do? Well, they lived by a set of rules, trying, trying to fulfill the law. And really the, the main issue of the book of Galatians that's brought up over and over again is circumcision, which the Jews believed in and they prided themselves in. And so as we look at this, I just want to tell you, these Gentile men and women from Galatia, they came to faith and they were trying to figure out, what do we do next? How do we live our lives? And maybe here today, that's what you're trying to figure out. You're trying to say, well, you know, how do I live new life in Christ? I was raised in a church, but... You know, I struggled because I thought it was a bunch of list of rules. And, and, and then when I found Christ, I found forgiveness. But, but how do I live from now on? Maybe you have uh, been part of a, a, a faith group, but it was a list of rules. And you go, I, I realize that Christ has forgiven me, but how do I now live? This is the question of the book of Galatians. And Really, we are getting into an incredible uh, section of the book that will give us some, uh, not just clues, but some marching orders, some transformational thoughts that will change our lives if we understand them well. And my, my hope is that we would. We start in verse 1, and I would just say, stand firm, stand firm. Verse 1, stand firm. This is one of the key verses of the book of Galatians. He says this, and we mentioned it when we left our study, I believe in the last week of November. Uh, he, He says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. If he asks the question, if they're asking the question as they receive this letter from Paul, This letter that comes from God to Paul, to the Galatian church. How do we live now? If this is answering this, Paul would say this, live in freedom. Live in freedom. Or keep being free. Uh, Hold on to your freedom. Don't give up your freedom. First of all, he says this. That, that the reason that Christ died on the cross, and it's important for you to remember this, Christ did not die on the cross to make a spectacle of himself. Christ did not die on the cross because it was what he wanted to do in the sense of being fun and like just seemed like the right thing to do. It was the plan of the Father to send the Son to do what? 
to be the one to stand in the place of those who would believe that they would have forgiveness of sin. But, but the way it says it in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And so as you think about the cross, if you think about how Christ has come, and, and as Paul shares with these Galatians, he says this, why did Christ come? He came for freedom, not just a vague like freedom, like 4th of July type freedom, but to set you free, to set me free. He, he goes on to, you know, when we think of freedom, uh, he, he goes on to say uh, the yoke of slavery, the yoke of slavery. And the picture of a yoke, most of you know what that is. It's, the, it's somehow restraining an animal, most of the time an ox or a horse or something, and put it on their neck. And so they're stuck there so that they would work and, and their job was to plow the fields or to, to carry the, uh, the carriage. And it's the idea that they're stuck there and they're held there and they can't go. And who is stuck there? Well, you say that the ox, but who's the ox, right? Who, who, who are the ones that were stuck? And when I say stuck, it, it's a nice way of saying uh, hopeless, Right? The idea of, uh, of their life before Jesus was they were stuck. What were the Galatians, what were they stuck in? Well, all kinds of different sins. All kinds. You really, uh, when the Gentile Galatians heard the gospel and accepted the gospel, they received this freedom. And it was a living and ongoing freedom. It, it was why Christ died. And he calls them to stand firm in that gospel, in what Jesus did. And I would say this, as I look at the rest of the passage, that gospel, that true gospel, good news, plus nothing. Plus nothing. Nothing added. Just that. You see, the, the Gentiles, what were they stuck in? Oh, their sins, Right? Their sinful way of living. And, and what was that? Well, it was probably similar to the sins that we have today. They were surfing the internet and looking at pornography. No, but it was some kind of sexual sin, right? There was probably some kind of excess of uh, some kind of drug abuse or alcohol abuse. That they, There was some kind of, there was filthiness of talk for sure. There was greed and the taking advantage of one another. There was just the, the, that ugly selfishness that looked at their common man and even in the, the relationships within their family. And they just cared about themselves. And so those Gentiles, those were the sins they were in. And it wasn't just that they were committing sins. Some of us think this way. And I want to tell you it's wrong. Um. When somebody, and this is how many Gentiles, many people you know, maybe it's been us, maybe it's your family members, maybe it's the people at Tehachapi, I don't know. But they think this way. They go, ooh, I, I did something and I feel guilty. I'm going to stop. And if I stop, uh, I'll feel guilty. I just, it's, a, it's an issue of my will. It's an issue of my will. And he says, no, 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 no. Uh, what you were before Jesus 
You were held in the yoke of slavery to your own sin. Couldn't get out. Couldn't get out. There's a different flavor of that yoke, uh, yoke of slavery of sin. The Jews had, their slavery was to the law. Their slavery was to the law. Um, what you can say about a Jewish person that knew the Old Testament, they were slaves to sin as well, but they knew which sins that they were uh, committing. They knew what God had said, and they said, oh, so we'll follow it. And they also knew that they didn't follow it, that they failed. Circumcision is kind of a funny one, isn't it? Uh, not just the act of it, but it's just a one-time event. It's even interesting that the a Jewish man might take pride in his own circumcision, which is a funny thing. Why? Because if they followed the law, it happened at eight days, and there wasn't really an act of volition, right? Not on the part of them, but on the part of the parents. And so as you look at this, there was a slavery to sin or a slavery to the law. Nonetheless, whatever it was, it was a yoke of slavery. And so what is Paul saying as he concludes and he comes to this point, he says, Freedom is what Christ wanted to bring you. And he set you free from what he did on the cross. If you've trusted in the message of Jesus, you are free. What do you do now? What do you do now? Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold that answer. Grab hold of it. Uh, I would say the word that's going to come up in the, later in the chapter. Walk in that. Stay there. Stay there. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. Hold that place. Don't give up that spot. And, and when he says stand firm, I'll say it again. Stand firm in the only true gospel of Jesus Christ plus nothing. Plus nothing. Um, most of us know about ruining a meal by overcooking right? And, and when I say overcooking, uh, you know, many times it's like you got it and you go, oh man, I'll just, I'll just leave it in for five minutes. A lot of you leave it in for five minutes, you, you know, and you walk away and it, you left it in for 20 minutes and you know it's done because you smell the smoke, right? And you say, oh, it's ruined. It's ruined. So, some of you, uh, you, you, you look at something, you, maybe you taste it, and you say, maybe it just needs a little bit more of this. Chum, chum, chum. And, and you taste it, and it's just like, ooh, that's spicy. That's salty, right? Too much, too much. I ruined it. I ruined it. And I want to tell you the gospel is that same thing. Jesus did it perfectly. He did it perfectly for us. And for us to add anything to it is to ruin God's perfect gift, gift of the gospel. So the first verse, he says, stand firm. And now, now he's going to talk more um, personally to the Galatian church. In verse 2, he says this, uh, look, I, Paul, look, and, and, and there was this, you're going to see this, that, that he's like, He's, he's saying, remember me, I was, Paul was the one who shared with them the gospel. 
They knew Paul. He wasn't with them now. He had uh, spent some time and then he left and he's saying, look, remember me. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you, you may remember, we went over this in the previous chapters, but chances are from Jerusalem, there came down to Galatia uh, some men or an entourage, a group of people that were saying, oh, okay, Galatian church, you have uh, accepted the gospel. Great. Let us tell you what you need to do next. First thing, first thing, men, you need to be circumcised. Oh, okay. If you can picture it like this, that, um, you know, the, have any of you ever bought a car at a car dealership? You say, oh, we, we got the price, we got the price, I get the car. I agree, I agree. And then they, they come and they stack this like escrow papers, uh, you know, in front of you and and they say, this one, let, let me explain to you how this works. It, it, this is what you do now. And you say, well, I didn't know. And then there's these lists of things that you need to do. And then you need to do this. And I didn't know. And I didn't know. And, and what they came, that these men, this one is probably one, even as we look at this passage. They came and they said, you need to accept circumcision. Now you need to be like us. And, 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 and just remember this in your mind. Paul was circumcised. Paul was circumcised before he came to faith as a child, eighth day. He tells us that in Philippians. He was circumcised and he grew as a man, not as a believer in Jesus Christ, but as a Jew. And as a Jew, his job or his love, it really was his love, not just his job. It was his job and his love was to persecute Christians and Jesus brought him to faith. He blinded him and brought him to faith. And, and so Paul knew about being circumcised and even as being an adult and, and taking great pride in that. And so as, as Paul looks at this section, he's going to tell them, faith is your answer. Faith is your answer. He says, I, I'm the apostle. I, I want to share with you. I love to bring you the gospel, but, but know this. That if, if you give in to circumcision, if you accept it, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What? Uh, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and now we just want to be super Christians, right? If, if it's be circumcised, we'll be circumcised. And he says, if you put your faith or if you trust, if you take that step of circumcision and believe that you're doing something, Christ will be of no value to you. That's heavy words, isn't it? That's shocking. This is the 180, right? This is the, the dangerous message that they were being challenged with. If you look down at verse 3, if you look down at verse 3, he, he says this. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Let me move on to verse 4, just so you can see the context and where we're heading. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. What he is saying is this. This is, uh, it, it's just faith that we're looking for. Faith in Jesus Christ. 
If you say faith in Jesus Christ plus circumcision, what, what, what does that mean? You're messing up the gospel of Jesus Christ that it, that's sufficient. And he says Christ is of no value to you. You're going back to something else. You're, you're changing the yoke of slavery or the yoke of uh, just regular old sin for the yoke of slavery to the law. That's what you're doing. And, and you're just going from one slave master to another, right? And that, that's a bad deal, of course. Um, he, he says this, if you... If you give in to circumcision, you, in reality, you have to go back to the whole law. Ten commandments, but more. The dietary laws, the days, the feasts, the festivals. It's interesting, as the Jews handled the, the word of God, it was never enough laws. There were never enough laws. There were the 10, and there was some other things that the Lord put in there to describe his holiness. And, but, but they didn't stop at the word of God. They made layers and layers and layers of other commandments and things that they would have to do. And, and Paul's saying to these Gentile believers, if Christ is not enough, if you must be circumcised, then you must do those other things as well. And this is what he says. If you're not going to be a believer, verse 4, if you're not going to trust in Christ, verse 4, you are severed from Christ. And he says, you who would be justified by the law. And, and he says it in kind of an odd way. He says, you who want to be right with God apart from Christ. If you're going to try the other method, what's the other method? The law. He says, you can't do both. You can't do both. It's either Christ or the law. If you're going to do the law, then you must do the whole law. Circumcision plus everything else. Here is your list. Read the fine print. If you seek to be justified by the law, I want to say this. If you seek to be justified by the law, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why? Isn't the law good? Yes, the law is good. It's the person that's not, right? It's, there's no perfection on us. See, the best we can do is imperfection. We get a couple of them right, but you know, maybe we, our attitude's wrong, so it's not right. And so there's no way to be good enough in the law. There's no way to be good enough. So if we're trying to be justified by the law, you're not a believer, verse 4. But listen to this. Right on top of that, verse 5. And, and end of verse 4, he says, you have fallen away from grace. I, I don't believe they have. I, I, I believe that he is warning them against trading in the gospel of grace for a, a law-based gospel that they could not attain. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, and, and this is, once again, he's, he's going to talk a lot about the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer in this chapter. But he says, this is, this is how we come to faith as well. The Spirit of God works in us through the Spirit by faith. By faith, he gives us or grants us faith. And, and we go from being an unbeliever to the, the one who believes or trusts in. 
He says, the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And what I want to connect for you here is this. The Spirit of God working grants us faith which leads to righteousness. Um, What is it to, we're talking about being right with God, that's righteousness. How are you right with God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. God's work in us through his spirit creates in us or makes in us righteousness. Righteousness that we've wanted and, and even sought in the law, but we could not attain. And so he says this. He says, uh, if you didn't get it, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And, and as you look at this, I think so often in being wanting to do self-effort and, and be thought of as great, we're looking, well, what counts with God? How can I be right with God? How can I somehow be good with him? How can, can I do something that will uh, kind of appease him in some way? And the answer is no. In fact, circumcision, he highlights here, means nothing. Means nothing. Nor uncircumcision. That's not the, the difference here. What is the difference? The difference is Jesus. It's faith in him. He says this, uh, he, he ends verse six by saying, but only faith working through love. Once again, he uses the word faith. And, and if you wanna think about this word faith, it's not just thinking about something, but it's placing your trust in Jesus Christ. You trusting him, not yourself. You, you trusting him, not the law, not my own goodness. Not some rabbi or priest or I'm not trusting in anyone, not myself, not my good works. I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. He says faith working in love. It's interesting. Uh, He's going to talk about this again uh, quite a few times again in the next few chapters. But he says faith working in love or or producing love, what happens to the life of someone who's trusted in Christ is this. They, because of what God has done, he granted them faith and they, they now believe in Jesus. They don't trust in their own works or their own ideas or their own agenda. But now it's in their life, there's this working out of love. And, and I, I look at that. It doesn't describe the love, right? It just says the love. You know, there's love there. And, and, and what I want to say is this. In the life of the believer, one of the evidences of the life of the believer is love. And you say, love for what? A lot of things. I was thinking that through and I was saying, well, what, what does the, the new believer Love. He's changed to be a lover, no longer a lover of self, but a lover of God, a lover of Christ and his work, a lover of the Holy Spirit's work in his life, a lover of the church, right? A lover of God's work, a lover of his word. I love hearing from God. I want to know. It's being a lover of others, right? It's the idea of seeing each person made in the image and likeness of God and loving them because he has capacity now to. And I would say this, even loving 
lost people, lost sinners, knowing that they are in the pit just like he was. And so it's no longer being a lover of self. And, and, and being a lover of self is an interesting deal, isn't it? Um, you, you know, you think about those Gentile Galatians, what they were like. And I would say this, they were loving themselves. And you say, well, what'd that look like? It looked like a dog chasing his tail, right? It just looked foolish and dumb, and it, it was all about them, and it was doing nothing, but it was occupying their time. It, it wasn't accomplishing anything. In fact, it was kind of a game that just kept being going on and on. There was no satisfaction in it. That's what it is to be a lover of self, and God changes the one who will trust in him, grants him faith that he might be changed, become righteous, and become now a, a, a true lover, a love that God has granted you with that can love him and love his church, love his word, love others. Which brings us to verse 7, the dangerous messenger uh, that you should not follow. The dangerous messenger. And, and as I read this, and I read this over, and I was trying to piece it all together I realized that in verses 7 through 12, he's talking about a guy. He's talking about a guy. And, and, and a, there were probably other guys, but there were probably a, a one messenger guy, right? It was probably the counterpart to Paul. It was probably the one that they were thinking of. And it seems as though Paul doesn't know the guy's name. Maybe he doesn't. But he's going to say, let me tell you about that guy who ever told you this. I want to talk about that guy. Let me tell you some things about him. If you look down at verse 7, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who's the guy? Right? Who's the guy? You look back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, and he uses the same idea, the same word. And it's the idea of uh, if you can picture someone either walking or sprinting, or just running fast, you know, if, if, for those of you track people here today, it probably isn't the 100 meter, right? It's probably not, they still have walking in the Olympics, that weird little walking thing. I always watched that as a kid, and I thought that was so weird, right? Just run. You could be a lot faster if you run, you know? Uh, um, but, uh, it's probably what he's talking about here is the 800 meter, a couple of laps, right? A couple of laps. And it's not a full-fledged sprint, but it's this idea of you've got to make progress. And he's picturing them running. And it's the idea they've come to faith, and now they're on the path. They're running. They're walking. They're making progress, right? They're making progress. And he says, who impeded your progress? Who got in your way? Who knocked you off course? Who led you astray? Somebody messed up your run. Who was it? And what they messed up was pretty, is very important to, to remember. So he says, you're running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Don't think, please don't think that, that following after Christ means that you do whatever you want because you're free. 
It's that out of that love that he's given you that you now, like, you want to please him. You want to follow him. You want to hold his hand. You want to go where he wants you to go. I think most of us are are like, freedom, cool. Uh, We're Americans. That means I can do any dumb thing I want to do. And you can't stop me because it's my right. It's my right. That's not the freedom that's spoken of here. It's freedom from sin. Freedom to follow Christ. His righteousness, his path. And so the first thing he says, that guy, he messed you up. He's messed you up. Who's hindering you from making progress? Verse 8. And verse 8 is a sobering truth. It doesn't translate as very... um, you know, powerful, but listen to this. He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Uh, He's saying this guy who's talking, he's trying to persuade you. His persuasion is not from Jesus Christ. It's not from the Spirit of God. It's not from the Father who loved you so much that he sent his Son. Think about that. Um, and I think there's a very practical, very practical way of living. How do you live every day after? How do you make decisions this week? How do you watch the news? How do you listen to family members? How do you listen to bosses and, 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 and people that are having input into your life? How do you listen to them? And, and you say, well, uh, I listen to people in authority. Who is in authority? Well, my boss, you know, politicians. Uh, <laughs> medical people, you know, teachers. And, 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 and I think we should listen, listen. But the idea of jumping to and doing what they say, that's a different thing. And what he's saying about this guy, whoever he is, and probably the guys who follow this guy or with this guy, he says this, he's not from God. And if he's not from God, if he's not following the Holy Spirit, if he's not following Jesus Christ, who is he following? He's a voice piece of the devil into my life. And, and, and I want to tell you, I want to tell you, you need to be very careful who you listen to. Very careful. These young in their faith Galatians were going, oh, you know, how, how should I live? How should I take steps? What should I do now? And this guy sounds like he knows stuff. And Paul points to him and he says, that guy, I don't know that guy's name, but I want to tell you, he's not with the one who called you. He's not with the one who called you. So he's with the other team. He, he's from the devil. He's not from God. He goes on to describe a little bit more about this guy. Verse 9, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. For those of you bakers here today, you know what that is, right? You know, there's this magic dust, right, (laughs) called leaven. And it makes bread and pizza really good, right? And and it's really weird, especially for those of you who are a little bit older and watch that I Love Lucy episode. You know which one I'm talking about? Those of you younger, you should look it up today. It's a great episode, right? She just get, keeps getting a bigger bowl, and it just keeps getting bigger. Uh, 
And he's pointing to something that, that they would have known about. They would have said, this leaven, it's just a little bit. And, and yet you put it in and, and it affects the whole lump. Just think if it's sourdough, right? Not just the lump, right? Lumps to come, right? It just keeps going. And he's saying, look, this guy... You may not seem like such a big deal, this guy's saying. He's just talking about circumcision. I know it's a big deal, but it's just one day. It's, it doesn't, you know, it's not this big thing. He says, no, 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 he's dangerous. And I, I want to tell you that people who don't know Jesus Christ that are having input into your life that, that is a different message other than the gospel, they're dangerous to you. They're dangerous to you. And so he says, this guy, whoever this guy is, he's dangerous. It may seem like no big deal. It just may seem like a few grains, but it ruins the whole batch. He goes on to talk about this guy, and he says something else. He says, uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Verse 9, verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, that you will be thinking, that you will not take this guy's view and follow after him. Um. And the one, that guy, who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And, and really, the idea here is this, that that guy will have to deal with God. That guy will have to deal with God. We move on. He says this. And, and now verse 11, Paul's saying, there's that guy and then there's me. He says, but if I, once again, uh, he points to himself. He, he points to their relationship with them. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, did Paul still preach circumcision? No. He says, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, why am I still, uh, I'm sorry, in, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Why is the gospel message offensive? Because it's a one-way gospel only in Jesus Christ. And Paul went from being the persecutor to the persecuted as he shared that message. If he would have stayed with that message, he would not have been persecuted. And Paul says, look, that guy, that guy, he's not like me. He's not like me. I had the true gospel with you. That guy does not. That guy does not. And then... Uh, I don't know if you caught this earlier and it's going to be a little tougher second service because there's a younger crowd, but verse 12. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. What an amazing thing. And, and as you look at this, um, the, Paul uses this in, in the book of Philippians as well, this idea of mutilation. And, and when, uh, when some, how many of you have had surgery? Sorry for all of us. Sorry for all of us, right? Uh, some of you have like been trying to get frequent flyer miles and stuff like that. You go so many surgeries. Sorry. Um, what if the doctor, and maybe, I don't want to get too personal, but like what if the doctor said, hey, um, we're going to do surgery this week. We're going to do surgery. And you go, oh, great. Um, why are we going to do surgery? He says, I don't know. I, I'm a surgeon. I'm a surgeon. And, and it's all I really know how to do, right? And he says, well, help me. No, 
No. I'm just going to go in you and take something out. I'm going to cut something off. What is that? Mutilation. Mutilation. If there's a surgery with no purpose, with no purpose, it's just mutilation. Um, pagan cultures did this all the time and they thought it was somehow uh, would appease the gods. There was pagan practices of the day of this kind of, uh, th- this kind of mutilation spoken of here, the pagans practice. He, he probably was thinking of that. And the Gentile Galatians, they came believers, they would have known of that practice and they said, not just circumcision, but emasculation. Um, it, it, it's interesting, it's interesting, and there's, there could be a lot of different things going here, but you, you sense what he's speaking of, right? He says, he, he's kind of pointing the finger. So, so, so that guy came to the Galatians and said, you need to be circumcised. And, and Paul takes his finger and he cranks it back at him and he says, no, 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 there's something you should do. <laughs> If you believe circumcision is so great, why don't you emasculate yourself, right? It's interesting, once again, that this, this guy, whoever he was, most likely would have been circumcised on the eighth day. Once again, his parents had done it. And so he was already circumcised. So like he wasn't looking at these other men and saying, I'm with you. He says, no, you should do this. And uh, Paul says, no, you do something. You take it further. You take it further. Um, I, I just want to say this. I, I, I really think it, nobody else, as I was reading, the other commentators didn't say anything about this. So when something comes from Kevin's head, it's probably wrong, okay? <laughs> but um, it, it, I probably shouldn't say it. Uh, I'm going to anyways. Uh, I, so... One of the things that um, there's waves that should happen, right? Uh, as a Galatian uh, Christians came to faith, that there should be others that come to faith after that. A married couple, when they get married, they have kids after that. And when someone is emasculated, they're not going to have any kids anymore. They're not going to. And as I look at this man, um, it, it makes me wonder if Paul was saying, and don't tell anybody else that message. I, I hope that forever you don't, you don't, there's no generations that come after you. That there should be nothing that comes from you because that message, there's no life in that message. And so you shouldn't have kids to share that with, right? You, you, you should go with your dumb message that does not save and stay and don't tell anybody. He says, uh, I would wish that you, that guy, that he, would mutilate himself. I want to give you three things to conclude our time this morning. For, first of all is this, and I hope this is clear. Um, the first thing is this. Stick with your right answer. Cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick with your right answer. Cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, um, and this is kind of similar, but don't add. Don't add. Um, there's a tendency, there's a, there's a tendency for us to think we're somehow smarter or better or, or that 
we're overachievers or that it's not enough. I'm not like everybody else. I'm going to do more. I want to tell you, don't add to the gospel. And thirdly, I would say this. I want you to remember there are three ways to go here. There are three ways to go. The, the, the first one is uh, back to the sins of the past. And, and when I say three ways to go, three ways to, to now live, okay? Picture yourself, you, you just come to faith, it's that first day after, and you're, you're considering your life, and you say, um, you know, I, I was involved in all kinds of perversion. What should I do now that I have freedom in Christ? I'm going to go back to the perversion. I'm going to go back to the sin, There's three ways you can go. You understand the gospel, you go back to the sin. Back to the sin. The second way is this. You you go from, you know, you're in sin, you're in slavery, come to faith and you say, give me a list of further obligations that I need to do. Give me a list of further obligations. Give me the fine print, right? It can't be just so good as that, that day yesterday that I came to faith. I, I couldn't have received it all. Give me the other list. And if you don't give me a list, I'll make another list, right? And this list is how I can be right with God. You can go back to the old sins. You can go not back to the old sins, but come up with a new yoke of slavery, Or thirdly, you can walk in the Spirit. You can walk in the Spirit. I want to share with you one more verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. God's Word says this. And this is where this is heading. We have one more message before we get there. And then we're going to camp on this section for for quite a while. Because I think it's important. I think it's revolutionary if we would understand it. But this is what it says. And this is the different way that Jesus calls us to, that Paul is saying, this is the way we now live. It's this. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to tell you, and we'll talk a lot about it, but the different way that he calls us to now do is to walk by the Spirit. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I I ask that you would help us to to follow along and to to walk with you and and to hold your hand. Lord, help us not to go back to the old sins and not go back to a different yoke of slavery. God, help us to be free as what your son Jesus has done so that we can be free. God, help us to stand firm in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.